Welcome to Wake Up and Vibe, the space that celebrates stories of courage and strength from women from all over the world. This is a podcast of badass women for badass women, and I am Lorena. Today, my guest is Lisa Tamari. Lisa is an ultra-extreme endurance athlete with 25 years of competing in the world's toughest endurance event. As a runner, I have to say that I am blown away by Lisa. She is also an author of three best-selling books, Running Hot, Running to Extremes, and her latest book is Relentless. We talk about this particular book in this podcast. Lisa is also a podcaster herself. Her podcast is called Pushing the Limits, and she is an international speaker and co-founder of Running Hot Coaching. And Lisa also leads some very interesting programs regarding epigenetics, all topics we will get to discuss today. I'm very, very excited to have such a renowned and courageous and strong woman in today's episode. Hi, Lisa. I'm so excited that you're uh, joining us all the way from New Zealand. So cool to be here, Lorena. Super excited and honored to be on your show. Thanks for inviting me on. Well, thank you. Thank you. I I have been doing a little bit of research on your background, your stamina, your power of the brain and everything that you, emp- you embody as, as an athlete, as a woman. And I'm really interested to see and hear um, the stories or the story that you want to share with this group. Um, so over over to you. Wow. Yeah, where to start, Lorena? So uh, just to give listeners a bit of a background. So I have had a career as an ultra-endurance athlete. So uh, that, that means so ultra-marathons, so anything basically over the marathon distance, which is like 42 kilometers or 26 miles uh, for any Americans out there. Um, and it is – so these races are can be 100 k's, 100 miles, 200 k's, you know, really long sort of events. So I've been doing that now for over 25 years, my, my career span. I've actually retired now from doing it um, and uh, got in that time to run over 70,000 kilometers and cross most of the deserts on, on Earth, so or, or parts of of the deserts, so over 2,000 k's in the Sahara, the Moroccan Sahara, twice the Arabian Desert, Libyan Desert, Niger, Jordan, Gobi Desert, Death Valley in the USA a couple of times, outback of Australia in different parts, um, up in the Himalayas, so the Nepalese Himalayas and the Indian Himalayas. Um, and at one point I ran right through New Zealand, 2,250 kilometres in 42 days for charity, which nearly bloody killed me. Um <laughs> And in the time, like, I've had just so many amazing adventures, met incredible people, had some spectacular successes and some really even more spectacular failures, um, <laughs> which are all part of the journey. Uh, and, you know, I, I learned so much about myself. And, you know, this isn't really about running per se. Running is just uh, the catalyst for a lot of the stuff that I have learned uh, and um, that's really, really helped me in life. So, yeah, that's it in a, in a bit of a nutshell. Um, I'm also the author of three books. I've written 
three books, two on my running adventures, um, running hot and running to extremes, uh, you know, all the crazy sort of stories in there. And my latest book, Relentless, is um, – I'll just show you anyway because you can see it um, – is about the story of bringing my mum back after a massive aneurysm left her with major, major brain damage. Um, oh, wow. And, and, and the medical professional was telling me that I would, she would never, ever have any quality of life again, that she would never do anything uh, again. And I, being an athlete and being a very stubborn-minded person, I just went, no, that's not happening. And I'm going yeah. to, I'm going to find – somebody has overcome this and I'm going to find a way – or die trying. And that was the attitude that I took with her. And, I mean, she was 74 and um, the, the the odds were absolutely stacked against us. When she had had the aneurysm, she had no – basically – well, hardly any higher function. She had no ability to speak, no memory, no control over her bodily functions. Um, she could move her limbs partly, although she would have been uh, temporarily paralyzed on the right-hand side from a stroke on top of the aneurysm. Um, but she was in very dire, dire straits. Um, so that book is about this this rehabilitation journey, but it's a book really about the mindset and the approach when you're up against all the odds, and it is a journey of discovery of the the latest in science and therapies that isn't generally offered to the public by your local practitioner. So if I had left it up to the local medical fraternity, and this is no indictment on them, it's just to say there is a lot more in the world than what you are usually offered um, so I ended up doing a whole lot of things like hyperbaric oxygen therapy, functional genomics and gene testing, uh, um, functional neurology, oh, just, just a ton of things over that period of time to bring her back to full health. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's the, my latest book. Um, and that journey with my mum now is actually five years ago when she had the actual aneurysm. And now she's completely normal again. Like, at, oh, fantastic! Yeah, she's she's my little rock star. She's a she's a miracle. The medical people just don't know how the hell that's happened. Um, she has a full driver's license back. She has a full power of attorney over her life back because she'd lost all of that. Um, and it's just a, the most incredible journey I think I've ever been on. Um, and. You know, so I just love my mum to pieces, and I, you know, yeah. it's so glad to have her back after losing her completely. You know, um, yeah, of so course. Yeah, it's a very empowering story about never giving up and overcoming obstacles, and you know, all of that. So, so I, I consider myself, um, I consider myself an athlete. I mean, I've, I've been, you know, been, been an athlete my entire life since I was a little kid. Um, so when I, when I, when you and I started speaking, I was super excited and, and all of us, and, and I thought this podcast would be about that, but about the athlete side, but I think going through what you just went through with your mom, it kind of takes you, takes all of the things that you have learned and you have to apply all of that power. So exactly. Why not? I mean, obviously, this is this is your space to share uh, whatever you feel comfortable sharing of your journey um, in any of those spaces. But how was how did you 
how were you able to handle both the stress and in a way not being able to do anything with your own hands yeah to to help your own mom just not being able to fix something because I'm a real fixer I like to fix things you know when something goes wrong and if I can't you know I get very you know it it, it taught me a lot of patience because when you're dealing with brain injuries it, it the relentless nature of the training that you have to undertake the thousands and thousands of hours because I was an athlete I was used to pushing up against boundaries boundaries of you can't do that because everyone has always told me you can't run across the Sahara you can't run you who the heck do you think you are you know I've always been told those types of things so I've never listened to the naysayers of the world I only ever listen to the people who tell me yes you can and here's how you can take the first step um, so when any Anybody comes at me when I've got a when I've got a big goal or project or, or something on, and someone tells me I can't do something immediately, they're out of my earshot. <laughs> <laughs> I find the person who tells me, "Well, yes, you can," and here how this is how I did it, or this is the first step to take, or here's somebody to listen to, or here's something to learn. Because when you have that uh, attitude of "I can" and "I will," and somebody has already done it out there then you're more likely to find that that answer. Um, and I had, I mean, with mum, it was, I had no roadmap. I had no, I was walking in complete darkness and just taking one step after the other. When we got her out of the hospital, because she was in the hospital for three months and I was fighting against the system there because I was picking up things, I'll just backtrack a little bit. She had a real med- medical misadventure. So when she was first came into the hospital with these massive headaches and she collapsed on the floor in the morning. They had not recognized it as being an aneurysm. They thought she was having a migraine and they'd left her there for six hours while she was bleeding to death in her brain. Brilliant. Um, so that had put me on hyper alert that they don't have all the answers and that they are not perfect. They're humans like the rest of us. So then I was like, what well, have to take responsibility and I am not a doctor but I'm going to go and research everything I possibly can and every step of the way I did that and I tried to stay up with what the doctors were doing the brilliant surgeons who did their job the brilliant nursing staff all of that sort of stuff but I tried to keep up with them and then as we progress I started to look for alternative things so for example I've done a lot of stuff at altitude as an athlete and I was recognizing the signs of altitude sickness in my mum, oxygen de- deprivation, right? And in the early stages when she was in the hospital, and I was, I wanted to get a sleep apnea assessment. Now, this is because when we sleep, sometimes our, we stop breathing. And when you've had yeah. a stroke or an aneurysm, this very often happens. But I came up against a medical fraternity, didn't believe this, and there was no need for a sleep apnea assessment. What do you want that for? So I had to go outside of the hospital, get an outside consultant, go against the rules of the hospital, bring them in, do the assessment to find out that she was in very bad, extreme sleep apnea. So she was stopping breathing uh, hundreds of times in, uh, a, a night. And she was sleeping like 18 to 20 hours a day. So this was just yeah. massive finding, you know, that she was not actually breathing. She kept stopping breathing. So we got her on the CPAP, and that was a very first one. And and. You know, if you think about it, obviously your background is 
is that of an athlete, not of a doctor. But you got to recognize that because you have ran across all the deserts in the world and you've, you've suffered, I'm going to say suffer this yourself and you and you followed your gut to go against absolutely everybody to know what it was that, that you you knew yep. was happening. And this is like, you know, especially when it comes into the medical, the standard conventional medicine, who do a brilliant job, by the way, of things like surgeries and stuff. But when it comes to, chron- uh, you know, degenerative diseases or chronic disease management, there is they have real blinkers on, in my opinion. Um, and I've spent actually the last five years at, uh interviewing on my podcast pushing the limits uh, some of the world's leading experts in the latest in biohacking technologies and therapies and the latest in research because of this journey that I went on with my mum and realizing that this information isn't getting out of the science labs and the people that are doing this into the practical setting yet it's like a 20-year delay a lag behind what's actually available so the, the, the you know going back to the apnea story that was a first win and she started to have little bits of improvement and then I came across something called hyperbaric oxygen therapy which is what they use for uh, dive accidents when divers uh, have accidents and it's a decompression chamber and this is being used uh, quite extensively in the UK is actually very forward and progressive with with hyperbaric but in other countries America Israel Germany places for brain injuries it's not used for that here in New Zealand so then I had to study hyperbaric I had to find a place to do hyperbaric and I had to go to a commercial dive company actually and ask them to use theirs Um, and that was a very very powerful therapy for her Um, so if anyone is listening out there who's got loved ones with brain injuries or multiple sclerosis or cerebral palsy or um, autism or concussions or uh, cancers then uh, reach out to me because I'm you know deep in the research on hyperbaric oxygen therapy and its uses for these types of things Um, so anyway back to the story I just managed to stay one step ahead of her and it was like thousands and thousands of hours of retraining her brain from being like a baby to not even be able it took me 18 months to teach her just to roll onto her side in the bed like wow that that, that's how slow sometimes things were it took me about eight months to teach her just to sit without being completely collapsed over or to find find her mouth with food so how did you how did you manage going I don't want to say against, but trying to direct, you know, the medical society, um, I would assume, you know, they're very well studied, very well educated. They have boards, they know what they're doing for the, for the great general part. And here you are telling them, no, I've done the research. I know I have a feeling that this is what my mom is. I can only imagine the amount of resistance. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I was stuck when we were in the hospital system. Um, once we got out of the hospital system and I was able to take her home, which in it of itself was a battle because they wanted me to stick her in an institution and I wouldn't. And so that was a real battle for resources and a little bit of help because she was 24-7 around the clock 
care for two people. So they didn't think that we would be able to manage with her. And I remember going up to the social worker who I did not like and who was totally against me taking her home. And I threw my books at him and I said, this is who I am. And I'm not leaving my mother in an institution. I'm taking her home. And he was like, you'll be back here begging in two weeks for our help because there's no way in hell you're going to cope. And I was like, I'm going to show you. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. And then to be fair, it was, was, you know, extremely hard. Um, And the first year and a half was just, you know, everybody on deck, you know, my my brothers, my father. Um, But we did it. And I, you know, just kept researching and kept studying. And, you know, luckily I love science and I love, you know, studying and this sort of stuff. So, I managed to find things and people and scientists to help me along the way. And, you know, the, the results speak for themselves. I wish, you, you know, my mum's actually in the bedroom still asleep at the moment. Um, so I'd, otherwise I'd get her to come out and say hello. Um, but she, she's just, she's a miracle. And she's 79 years old. Like we're not talking yeah. someone in their 30s who's had a, a yeah. small brain concussion. We're talking someone at, at the age of 74 when she had it uh, with massive brain injuries being able to come back. And this story is so powerful because it's, and this is why I wrote the book is because I want other people to have a, well, definitely a roadmap for anyone going through something similar, but also for people who are just facing up against big obstacles or people telling them that you can't do things. You know, like I'm a, I, I'm a health coach. I'm a running coach. I do a lot of speaking and I'm constantly trying to get people to understand we have so much more power inside ourselves than other people give us credit for and that we give ourselves credit for. And when we can start ignoring that little voice inside our head that goes, who are you and you can't do this and you're not good enough and somebody else knows better and if you can start ignoring that voice, acknowledging it and going, yeah, 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 I know you're trying to protect me but I've got my job, I've got my mission, I've got my project, I've got my goals this is the direction I'm going, just be quiet for a bit. Because we all have that imposter syndrome, if you like, that that voice inside our head that comes from our youth where we are programmed in certain ways to believe that we are limited in our, in our thinking and in our abilities, and often it's not true. Yeah. Sometimes the great, the great majority of the time. Yeah, the great majority. Occasionally we'll come up against a brick wall, and yes, we can't do something, but – um, until proven otherwise, believe that you can, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's two stories, actually. I think it's, um, the story of you seeing your mom in that condition and not giving up because you love her out of love. You don't want to give up. Absolutely. So, and then there's her story. So now let's take your story of not giving up. What, what inside you, you know, you have that imposter syndrome. Um, somebody else in another podcast called it the dragons in our shoulder yeah, yeah. or the dragons in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, I call them the lion and the snake. But Okay. <laughs> so, so how do you, how do you, or what, what is it that you, that you do, whether it's in a race in the middle of a desert, not having water and knowing that you're, potentially about to die if you take the wrong step (laughs) you know because this is serious stuff and and also having the care of your mom which is just as serious if not more right because it's another life so how do you pull yourself to to say no this this story is not over yet 
Yeah. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is a, such a powerful conversation, Lorena, and you're such a good interviewer. Um, <laughs> it, well, thank you. <laughs> it is, you know, it's, it's, un, it's like, don't get me wrong, there are times when I have been on the ground crying, bawling my eyes out, not knowing how to take the next step. And there have been times in the desert where I'm thinking this is all over and I can't even take another step. And there have been times when I have failed in races when my body is just shut down um, and I haven't been able to carry on, you know. Um, or there are times with, with mum when I just was broken and pushing my, my mind and my body to the limit and it cost me a lot. I aged a lot in that time and the stresses that I went through, but, man, it, you know, it was worth it. Um, and in those times you're really pulling on the why. So I even before mum got sick and had this problem, I remember in races what I would do in my head when I was going to a place where I can't carry on, I can't do this anymore, I would be going – well, what if one of your family's life depended on you carrying on? You know, I'd, I'd make these crazy scenarios in my head, like you've just crashed in the jungle and you've got to run 200 Ks to get help for your family who are stuck on the plane and can't get off and can't get out and they're dying. Uh, would you give up? And when you ask yourself those sorts of silly questions, because these are, you know, artificial scenarios in your head, but what you do is you – you, you start to free up those resources that have been held in reserve in your body and you pull out the stops. You pull out all the stops and you are able to tap into reserves that you shouldn't and you don't tap into on a day-to-day basis. And when you're in the middle of a big race or something, those are the times you want to tap into those last reserves, if you like, to get you that next step or to that next, you know, marker or to the next checkpoint. And you can push through sometimes when you change that mindset. Because if 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 the answer is no, I wouldn't give up if my family's life depended on it, well then there is the ability to carry on. It's how much yeah. you want it and how much are you yeah. willing to sacrifice it. So when I would go in and prepare for these big races, I'd spend a, as much time as I did in training almost as much time in in the preparation of the mind for the battle that was ahead and understanding what my why was, why I was out there. Not so much in the beginning of my career, but certainly as I developed as an athlete, I'd be um, looking at and trying to understand what is it that's driving me to do this and, you know, what am I prepared to go through? How much pain am I prepared to suffer? And it's all very good when you're sitting in your lounge in a nice, warm, cosy place to to do that but when you do do that you you prepare your mind a little bit for that battle it's always worse when you're actually in there and it's worse than you can possibly imagine and you can't remember how bad the pain was um yeah like childbirth I imagine I haven't got any kids but um where you you know in the middle of it you're going like never ever again and then baby comes out and you're like oh this is amazing let's do it again uh (laughs) you know but it is a, a a a little bit like that, but just understanding what your motivation is, what your driving factors are, so that when you're in the in the proverbial, you can you can pull out those that last energy reserves to keep going towards your goal and not give up in that moment. Listening to what you're saying, so yes, you're in the you you're in the middle of the race and you're asking yourself why, and would you would you run the 200k if your life depended on it? 
in a in a way, if you will, um, it, that seems to me being a complete outsider to your life, um, a preparation to actually having to run the 500k because your mom's life depended on it exactly exactly and this is why you know this sport and what I do uh, is so valuable it's not really about the running from a to b because this is an artificial man-made goal and journey that you go on in a race somewhere or climbing a mountain or you know climbing what it's climbing Mount Everest whatever it is um but the lessons that you learn, the mindset that you learn, the approach, the discipline, the work ethic, all of these things are super, super valuable. And therein lies the value of what I've done and been through for me. Now as a, you know, now I've retired from the, the super long stuff because obvious reasons, well, number one was mum. That was an instant end to my career because I couldn't dedicate 20 to 30 hours a week to training. Um, and secondly, I'd already been there and done that, and there are new challenges for me to conquer. Um, and I think, that going off on a bit of a tangent, but you know, for many athletes who are transitioning out of their um, out of their competitive athletic career, find it very hard to transition out because they're like, "Who am I if I'm not this athlete that did this?" and you know, and and, and what am I? And you know, am I a has been? Am I a used up, washed up? whatever and for me I had those thoughts when you know when I was going through it but I didn't have a choice because I was forced into retirement so to speak but it was probably three or four years overdue if that makes sense um yeah because I I had just kept going in those last couple of years because uh I didn't know what else I was and who else I I was and my identity was tied up with that and it was a it was a bit of a rocky road that transition out and um changing my mentality but now I like I have so much more energy now to pour into the projects that I'm doing whether it's writing books whether it's coaching whether it's teaching whether it's studying uh, all these other important aspects of life so it's just a transition phase and you have the chance to live and experience a new life and you know I'm right into the longevity and anti-aging space because I'm like 52 and I'm like oh, my God, I've got to slow things down here. You know, I want to stay <laughs> I want to stay healthy and, and, you know, incredibly vibrant as I, as I get older. Um, and therefore, for me, it's much more beneficial not to be doing those types of races because they tear my health to pieces. So I've done that, I've done that, and now it's about longevity and health for me moving forward, if that makes sense. So I think I got off topic there, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, you know, as as we age, and you know, I think every every woman out there, and every male for that matter, we all, we all, it, it it all starts becoming about the mind and the brain. Can you keep your thoughts? Can you remember the the important things? Because at the end of the day, that's all that really matters, right? Is do you do you remember the small things? Do you remember the moments and the people that care and that matter? Absolutely. Um, and and reinventing yourself a hundred times if you have to. And, and, you know, we're so lucky in the day and age we live. We can have three 
careers, 10 careers, 12 careers, whatever we want. We don't have to stay stuck in one thing. We're lucky in that way, you know, in that we live in this day and age where we get to reinvent ourselves. I mean, I've done everything from producing documentaries to running TV shows to running radio shows to writing books to, uh, you know, being an athlete to running a hyperbaric oxygen clinic to being a health coach, functional genomics coach, you know, you name it, I've pretty much done it. Have I got qualifications in all those things? No, a few of them. Most of them not, you know, uh, never let it stop me. And I think that that too is a lesson in itself. Um, just go and do the stuff. You don't yeah. actually, for most jobs, I mean, there are exceptions when you're a lawyer, when you're a, a doctor or whatever, you have to go to medical school or you have to go to law school. But to be an author, you don't need to go to author school or journalism school or you you, you can go and find the experts now who can teach you exactly the information you want to know and not a whole lot of the fluff that you don't need, which is what you get taught at university, um, and actually yeah. more of an excerpt much, much quicker on the area that you want to focus in on. Um, so, you know, if people are out there feeling stuck and I, I don't know who I am and what I want to be or I want to change my career or any of these sorts of things, um, you know, we live in an age where you can go and st- – I mean – I study under some of the best scientists now in, in in things like functional genomics because I can. I can go, I can buy a course or I can go and even just learn from podcasts and YouTube if, if that's where yeah. you're at. Well, we're, we're in the day and age, you know, like you and I were chatting before we started recording the podcast where, you know, you're in New Zealand for yeah. God's sake. You know, and I'm I'm in the UK, and most of our listeners are Americans. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like you could do anything. Yeah. Um. So I want to kind of go back to your mom. Yeah. So you know, your mom is is having to. You said have to relearn how to take a step, how to bring food to her mouth. I can only imagine how difficult it was for her. So going back to the resilience story. Um, for you, you're active. You had many years of um, training training. mental training, if you will, to get you through that. Having seen your mom in that space where she probably hasn't, you know, in her own way, probably did have some sort of training through life, but not like you. No, she's never um, been an athlete or any, you know, she's been a fantastic mom and teacher. She was a teacher from profession. What really was, I think what you're asking is um, in the first year she had no cognition really of who she was or what had happened to her, so she didn't, she has no memory of that time. As she started to come back to herself and and regain her cognitive function, um, she she's as much a fighter as I am and she puts in the work every single day, and I mean every day. There is no days off for her birthday. There is no days off for Christmas. There is no days off from the diet that she does. There's, she she brings to the table the, the, the desire to get better and a never-give-up approach. And my mum is complete opposite to me. You know, I'm all like action and rawr, you know. My mum's a gentle, sweet, loving, amazing mum, and she's not so vocal about it, but she's she's tough and resilient and just gets on with the job. You know, she doesn't complain. She just does what I ask her to do, and she has full faith in me. So she 
does whatever I ask her to ta- do and take or the pills that I give her, the exercise, the the training, the, the therapies that I put her through. And in the early days, they were arduous. They were, they were very, you know, people often used to say to me, why are you torturing your mum? You, you should just leave mm-hmm. her be. You should just leave her alone. She's not going to come back and there is no hope and why are you putting her through this? And I was like, well, I don't want to hurt to talk to my mum and I don't want, you know, pushing her through these hard training sessions. But the alternative is death and the alternative is is never coming back and I might only have a 1% chance but I'm taking that 1% chance. And if I have to push her hard to do that, then that's what I have to do. I don't like it. I don't like telling her that, mum, you can't have an ice cream. No, mum, you have to go and train at the gym today, you know, come on, mum, we've got to go for another walk, you know, all of these things that I know sometimes she wants to go, nah, I can't be bothered. And I do respect her, you know, like now she has her full function back. When she says to me and occasionally she will say to me, like, nah, that's enough, I'm, I'm, I'm tired or I, I want a day just to do some things with girlfriends or what, I do respect that, although I'm still, you know, okay, mum, if you're going to go out with your girlfriends today, but can you go and do a little walk beforehand, you know, or something. Um, yeah. and, and having that combination of the person driving the therapy and the person willing to go through that. So even though she's never been an athlete in the sense of the word, um, she is an athlete now. And I treat her like an athlete. I do not treat her like a patient. I treat her as if we're training for for the, our Olympics and she's got to come back. And that mindset that she has is just incredibly strong. And, you know, it really makes me sad because I get a lot of people coming to me and asking me for help with, you know, with their loved ones, with uh, people with, you know, everything from dementia to anorexia to to cancers to I, I work with a whole lot of people with really difficult situations. And the ones that I can help are the ones that have a driving force behind them, like a family or a friends um, that can help them with their rehabilitation, especially when it comes to brain injuries. And secondly, that they have an attitude is I'm going to look outside the square. I'm not just going to take what my standard doctor, and again, this is not against doctors, but just understanding that they have a limited time, limited resources, and you get maybe 10 minutes with your doctor, 15 minutes if you're lucky. There is no way in hell you can do anything in that time of real consequence and significance, you know, when it comes to rehabilitation stuff because it's very time intensive. So you have to have someone who's willing to, you know, investigate and study and learn and take responsibility rather than just going to the doctor to get a pill and hoping that then, you know, taking taking the magic white pill that's going to fix everything because that doesn't exist. It's Yeah. yeah. But I think with anything with life, you need to be willing to not just wish it, Uh, which is kind of like taking the pill, but taking the step to make it happen. Um, You know, yeah, doing the work, exactly. Putting in the hours, putting in the work. Um, So it sounds like not only did this very um, difficult event uh, with with your mom uh, changed your professional life because you had to retire um, immediately, but it seems like it's also brought other people into your life and it's changing your life in a way. Positively, hugely. 
like I could not have imagined that the people that I would get to connect with and learn from mentors and teachers and also from a business perspective now, you know, this is what I do for a living now is helping people. Uh, you know, we have an epigenetics program where we take people through uh, gene testing and epigenetics. We have um, a run coaching academy where, you know, we, we train over 700 athletes around the world. So there are lots of things that have come out of this that are positive. And I always like to see the silver linings. And you don't always see it in the moment, like when you're going through the actual shit that you're in. <laughs> but when you get to look back over time and look back and go, Crikey, that actually was, although it was terrible and hard and I don't want to repeat it necessarily, man, we turned it into some positive stuff and it's helping people. I mean, every every single day my mum gets stopped on the street and, you know, just asked how she did it and that she's such a role model and, you know, she's so inspiring. In other words, it's helping people. The journey that we went through, the shit that she went through, is empowering and inspiring other people going through similar journeys. And therein lies the value. That's awesome, you know? Yeah. And did you ever think, okay, when I, you know, when you were in the middle of your career and you were in your prime moment and you knew because, you know, we all age and we all have to take that hard decision of, even though I love doing this, I'm going to have to retire at some point. Did you ever think at those times that, hey, you know, I'm going to run a, um, you know, genetics clinic and I'm going to help people with anorexia and I'm going to do all these things. Did that ever cross your mind at that point? No, hell no. Um, No, no, no. And and this is the thing. If you let life like it's a, a meandering path of discovery. And if you retain that childlike curiosity sometimes and let you know, uh, yourself go down in some deep rabbit holes and study. And and when you find something that you're interested, like when I, you know, was learning all about epigenetics and I was using it to help my mum initially. And then I was like, oh my God, this information is just gold because it helps me personalize everything to me. I can understand my genes better and I can eat the right foods for me and I can exercise at the right times and do the right types of exercise. So it became something that I did for myself and my husband. And then I realized, geez, this is like powerful for all the athletes that I'm working with. And, and, and then in the corporate world because you know in the corporate setting if you can understand your team members and how they tick and it's just like wow this is just fascinating so that ended up being this big giant rabbit hole that we went down and got qualified in and I'm still doing some um, studies in other areas of um, genetics uh, and and constantly learning and it's just I just love learning you know when we we, we stop learning then we actually just keep growing and developing and getting well, hopefully more wiser and more able. We don't need to stay stuck on one job anymore or one position, you know. Um, yeah. But I, I'm, you know, lucky in the fact that, you know, I've got a husband who is very, um, shall we say, patient and <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of say in it. I'm pretty strong-minded. <laughs> um, but he just goes with the flow and I'm very, very lucky to have his support, you know, that, that really, really helps in times of, you know, when I'm working mega long hours and, you know, we, we have mum living with us now, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, and all these sorts of journeys. Um, I just, just wanted to say too, I had a um, terrible situation earlier this year. My my 
my darling father um, had an aneurysm in the stomach and he um, – so this is the big aorta in the stomach and it burst and he was 81 years old and mm. I had a, a two-week-long battle in the hospital for his life and we he got through the surgery and uh, miraculously they didn't think he'd even make the hospital, but he did. <clears throat> he survived a four-hour massive surgery. He um, <clears throat> was looking like he was starting to pull through and then he developed sepsis. And because of what I do and what I know, I knew that I needed to get him intravenous vitamin C because that in, in a case of sepsis is, and after operations is just absolutely crucial. Um, and he was dying and I was fighting the system once again mm. to get intravenous vitamin C and have the right to administer that to him. And I had power of attorney over him and everything, and he was intubated so he couldn't talk for himself. Um, and so this was a, a two-week-long battle against ethics committees and legal battles. And, and I had all my friends on the outside who are doctors and scientists who, who are in the world of vitamin C research trying to help me present the information and, and so on. And, like, not, not many people have the access to the people that I have access to. Um, and still I could not. I just came up against this brick wall. Here is my dad who is dying. They have no other answers for me. I have... A, a, a treatment that is potentially going to save his life. I have his power of attorney. I have all the science. I have all the clinical uh, studies, etc. And they won't let me do it because it's a legal battle. It's a bureaucratic legal battle that they don't want to take the risk and so on. And I'm like, he's dying. You know, like, why do I not have the right? And once you're in the hospital system, you lose the right over your own body and you lose the right over your own loved one's body. Um, and so I, I, I fought the system and I, you know, was round the clock trying to stand by my dad's bedside and advocate for him and protect him. And he was a fighter. He fought with everything he had. And on day 14, I finally got permission to do the intravenous vitamin C and I got my local GP was able to come into the hospital system and administer it. And um, that very first intravenous vitamin C turned all the markers around. Like he was at death's door, like he could die at any any moment now. Um, so really way beyond. And, and, and despite that, his white blood cell count, his kidney function improved, his white blood cell count improved, um, his C-reactive protein, which is one of the inflammatory markers that really tells you how much up shit creek you are, and halved. But then they stopped me doing the second, and they stopped me doing the third, and I had to keep fighting, mm. and you need it every six hours. And, oh, wow. and so we, we we pulled him back for this one night and then we, we, we I, I just could not beat the system. And two days later they forced me to take him off life support and, and he died in their arms, which was oh. just absolutely devastating, you know. Excuse me because it's pretty, pretty raw still. But what I learned out of that journey and what I hope my dad's legacy will be is – like now I've, I'm deep in the research of vitamin C and I've gone and got the best scientists and they've shared their stuff on my podcast, Pushing the Limits, and I'm trying to get a documentary made and get media around this because it has been proven over and over again for sepsis, for ARDS, for pneumonia. Um, there's now studies around COVID, um, how powerful this is. And so there's just there's all of these battles going on behind the scenes that people just don't see when they're just in the normal, you know, 
go to their local doctor or things. But you know, there is there are powers at B that are stopping things like like the intravenous vitamin C from from being um, brought into the clinics. And it should be like at least your option if you want it and you are willing to pay for it and you are willing, you know, in the person is dying, why the hell not? Why can't I yeah. this low-risk intervention? One of their arguments were um, you could damage his kidneys. And I'm going, well, last time I looked, being dead damages your kidneys too. Like what sort of an argument is that? <laughs> you know, like that's stupid. Yeah. Well, for, first of all, I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. Um, yeah. It's- but it- – <sighs> You know, it just makes you think it, it's not fighting the system for fighting the system's sake. No. It's fighting the system for for things that matter with the research behind it, which you have done. Um, so because if, if you even try without the research, there's not even knocking on the door. And the researchers and the scientists and the doctors that are in this space are absolutely frustrated. And you know, one of them, Dr. Thomas Levy, said to me, um, we are 20 years behind. Like what we are doing in uh, the, the, the lab tests and the studies that we're doing and the clinical studies that we're doing and the human trials that we're doing is still going to take another 20 years before it's actually adopted. And he said that is the, that is the way it is in medicine. Because it's just so slow moving, and you have these lot of stick in the mud, so I like to call them, that just won't look at the latest research. And, you know, like, especially, oh, we're not talking about a really dangerous drug here. We're talking about vitamin C that, when given at these levels intravenously, is not the same beast as when you take it orally. It has different pharmacokinetic uh, mechanisms of action when it's given intravenously. And it's, we're talking like when you get an infusion, like the equivalent of 500 oranges, you know, because it's not <laughs> what taking one orange is going to do. When you give yeah. those levels, it has a whole lot of different mechanisms of action. And if anyone is interested, I've got five hours of lectures from scientists on my podcast on this um and and they're as frustrated you know as as everybody everybody in the space is frustrated and this knowledge has been building for over 50 years like Linus Pauling a Nobel Prize winning or double Nobel Prize winning uh laureate started this research like way way back and got absolutely slammed for it, even though he was a double Nobel Prize winner who was actually saving lives with cancer and, and extending life, got absolutely ridiculed for it because they didn't understand the mechanism of action. Now they've elucidated how it's working, and yet they still won't listen. And you've got to ask yourself, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but why? Is yeah. this a money thing? Is this a, just a takes 20 years to get into the into the medical textbook. So I don't know what it is that's stopping it, but it needs to change. And, you know, it's the same with things like hyperbaric, used extensively in some countries, completely ignored in others. Um, yeah. Well, in, and if anything, it's taking the blinds off, um, even just having this conversation in this podcast. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you're having this conversation with a, a lot of other people, but it's taking the blinds off of – Sometimes it's not, don't take what people take you, get, give you um, or say that you have to just because they are the expert. Do further research. Oh, really? there, 
Yeah, and exactly. Can now I can go to pub, you know, I can go and do the, cl- the clinical research. I can go and talk to these scientists. I can, you know, um, and therefore we're very, very lucky that we we have the ability, and that's why this is a, you know, a ground up movement. So if, instead of attacking, you know, in the media or or going, I do want to do stuff stuff in the media to make awareness around this, <clears throat> but instead of just talking to the local doctors about it I want to I want to get people just aware of the things that are out there so that if they're in this situation they go hang on a minute I'm going to go and do my own research and I'm going to take and then I'm going to double down and check on everything that the doctor's saying to me or is there somebody else who says something different another another doctor it doesn't have to be unqualified yeah. people. These can be other doctors who are who are deep in the. Because if you think about the body of knowledge in the world and how it's just doubling every five years, there is no one doctor that can be across all of that. It's humanly impossible. But that doesn't mean it's not happening out there somewhere. And if you can find the right person, the right researcher, the right scientist, whatever it is, um, that has dealt with the problem that you're dealing with and has got a new approach to it and you're facing dire odds like I was in both of these situations, then you you can overcome it sometimes and you can beat the odds. And with mum, I beat the odds. And with my dad, I lost against the, the existing system, if you like. Um, yeah, but hopefully, like you said, there will be a legacy. Um, yeah, that of of bringing awareness into into the world about it, and I can't wait to see that documentary that you're going yeah, to put together. I'm, I haven't got it financed, and I haven't got it, you know. But it's um, but you will, I'm sure. <laughs> we're working on it, you know, and it might take me years, you know, to get this. But Every every podcast I do, every book I sell, every you know um, lecture I hold, people are becoming more aware, and it's not just me. It's like you know, there's there's thousands of people in this space um, that are that are sharing their knowledge direct to other people, not just direct, so that it's no longer. The knowledge is held by the few and they control the many. But now through podcasts and, and things like this, we can share this information one-to-one and then you make with it what you will. If you want to ignore yeah. it, that's fine. But if you want to go and actually find out a bit more about this, you know, then you, yeah. but you're aware of it, yeah. you know. So, um, so Lisa, what would you say, you know, with these two very tremendous stories and an exceptional career uh, of, you know, 25 years, uh, writing your books, talking to so many people that are potentially suffering, you know, now, now with the work that you're doing, people that are suffering and that they come to you for help, what is the one thing that you just feel like? you have learned and that everyone else needs to know <laughs> one thing oh my gosh that's a hard one Marina. um i just think you know as long as there is life there is hope as long as you're breathing <laughs> keep fighting don't give up whether you know you're giving up on yourself because you feel like you're a failure and you're not going anywhere or whether you're facing a dire medical situation or or whatever the case may be keep fighting it isn't always over, you know, like just because someone said it is and you don't need to stay stuck 
in in a, in a in a job that you don't like, or in a position that you don't like, or a relationship that you don't like, or what you know, whatever the the the, the, the circumstances that you are in, be a fighter. Come out swinging. Find a way through this obstacle, and just listen to that tiny. We've all got this little voice. We've got that loud snake horrible dragon whatever you want to call it devil on your shoulder going you can't do that you're not good enough and I'm sure Lorena you know when <clears throat> when you started this podcast you're like but oh I can't do that you know because I know I've been yeah. doing that and I, um or I I can't do this job or oh, I'm not good enough we all have that little voice but there's another little voice in there and it's much quieter often but it's the one that reckons I reckon I can I reckon I can do this. Listen to that one. Find people that will, will help you get there. Go and search for good mentors, good coaches. And whether if you have no money, go and bloody find them on YouTube and, pod, and, and make sure they're good though. Like really do your research on your coaches so that you're actually getting good information. Um, <clears throat> but find somebody somehow to help you get to the next level, you know. And we all need coaches and mentors. I have so many, it's ridiculous. And I invest in my education and I invest in improving myself all the time, every day, um, trying to get better and learn more so that I can achieve more, so that I can be more, so that I can help more. Um, And at the end of the day, you know, I want to, when I do leave this earth, I want to know that I've made a, made a difference in my little corner, you know? Oh, I'm, I'm sure you have. And you are with everything that you're doing, um, you know, and if, if anything, you've already saved lives. How many of us can actually say that? Oh, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't know. Well, mums maybe, but yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so relentless, where, where is it found? Where, how can we get it? Oh, thank you. Yeah. Relentless, the book is in, in my other books too, are available. They're on Amazon. They're on um, all the, you know, big, um, platforms around the world or you can just go to my website lisatamati.com tamati is spelled t-a-m-a-t-i dot com lisatamati.com um, and <clears throat> it's on there you can grab it out of my shop there um, and yeah but it is available if you just google it it's a book depository it's at amazon it's on audible books it's uh you know an audio form if you like consuming it that way i really want to get this message out there and um i have another two books as well and they're available via my website mostly and on amazon the first one i think is still out there um that's a few years old now but a good adventure good adventure reads those ones um, and if anybody's got any questions or wants to reach out to me, you can just um, email me. Email me, lisa at lisatamati.com or go and check out my website. And your podcast, iTunes, pull, uh, Pushing the Limits. Pushing the Limits. Uh, yeah. yeah uh, iTunes, Spotify, all of it. All of those good platforms or, again, just via my website. You can listen in there. And I'd love people to come and check that out because that is a real passion. So that would be great. Lisa, I'm encouraged Thank you for joining us. I can't wait to see, I can't wait to read your books to begin with. And I can't wait to see your documentaries and hopefully one day see your mom somewhere out there yeah, just yeah, yeah. kind of encouraging everyone else. Well, Lorena, I think, you know, um, 
we we definitely stay friends now. I hope and and and, yes. and connected. And what you're doing is really really important. Um, you know, women need to be empowered and to hear other stories of other women and to be supportive. So, thank you for the work that you're doing. I think it's fantastic, mm-hmm. and and you're a brilliant interviewer, and you're just so personal and easy to relate to. So, I think you you know got a great career now as a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks for sticking with us and listening to the stories in this episode of Wake Up and Vibe. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the other podcast feeds. If you would like to join the podcast or know of anyone that should be on, send me a quick note on my website, www.wakeupandvibe.com. Again, thanks. Until next time.